your blood runs orange and blue. Orange and blue. blue, blue. This, this is the pod, the pod for you. You're listening to Orange and Blue Bloods. Hosted by EJ Stewart and Tommy Beer. Let's get to it, New York. Here we are again, talking New York Knicks after another big victory. This is Orange and Blue Buzz. I am your host, EJ Stewart, joined by my co-host, Tommy Beer. This is a New York Knicks podcast, an Odyssey original that you can find on the Odyssey app. And wherever you get your podcast, make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Make sure you hit the auto-download feature on your streaming service so you can get this podcast every time we drop. We drop two or three times every week. And this is going to be a fun episode because that was a fun game last night, uh, Tommy. That was that, that felt a little bit like some of those old Nick Bulls games we talked about uh, just uh, just the past episode on Monday. Five in a row, EJ. The Knicks have not lost since we started doing this thing. And um, each game seems to be getting a little more interesting, a little more juice, a little more jazz, a little more buzz in the city. And um, yeah, I mean, listen, uh, hard to uh, uh, not be enthusiastic, at least cautiously optimistic, if nothing else, if you're a Knicks fan right now, as the Knicks are streaking. I mean, Knicks fans, I think you, you, we we now do have to get some credit at this point. I mean, we started this podcast and now here we are week and a half later. The Knicks have not lost since. So <laughs> I'm just saying I, I, these are the facts. You know, I know Tommy loves doing numbers. Those are the numbers. 4-0 since we started doing this podcast, a five-game winning streak uh, the, for the last five games. So I'm just saying, Knicks really, really hot right now. So let's get let's talk about this game, Tommy. So the Knicks, they stay hot in Chicago. The team extended its win streak to five games after beating the Chicago Bulls 128-120. In overtime, this was a game in which the, Bull, the Knicks had double-digit leads in both the second and first half. Uh, but the Bulls did battle back. Um, they kept it tight down the stretch. New York's offense got stagnant. And the teams would eventually head into OT when it eventually kind of became the Jalen Brunson show. He had uh, 30 points in the game. Julius Randle, who had a hot start in the game but struggled down the stretch, he still finished with 21 points. You had R.J. Barrett adding 22. He did foul out in the game. He had a little bit of a tough time guarding DeRozan that night. The ref certainly didn't give him much help. Quinn Grimes, maybe the unsung hero of this game. Two clutch threes. In this one, he had a solid 14-point performance. Mitchell Robinson, I thought, also was a beast uh, in the paint in this one. So plenty of love to go around the Knicks roster for this win. Chicago was led by DeRozan, who I mentioned, who had 32 points. 16 of those points came from the free throw line. He took 17 free throws in this game, made 16 of 17. Uh, Zach Levine, who had a really rough start in this one, did finish with 25. So he actually ended up kind of, uh, you know, it, it was kind of weird watching him. It's like his he kind of got his legs underneath him as the game continued. So. Uh, interesting thing to point out there but the Knicks get their fifth win Tommy your takeaways from the W my big takeaway is the Knicks have a point guard um, you know we kind of knew that we've known that we've been uh, confirmed but it, it just really it it can't be overstated how important point guard play is in today's NBA and the Knicks finally have their point guard here's the Knicks starting line a uh, starting point guard on opening night Every season since 2009, EJ. 2009, Chris Duhon. Oh, Raymond Felton. Tony Douglas the next year. Raymond Felton one more time. 2013, Pablo Prigioni. 2014, Shane Larkin. 2015, Jose Calderon. 2016, D. Rose. 2017, Ramon Sessions. 2018, Trey Burke started at point guard. 2019, Alonzo Trier started at point Ooh. guard. 2020, 
Um, we had the infamous Alfred Payton. 2021 was Kemba. And now the Knicks starting point guard for every game this season has been Jalen Brunson. And I say every game this season because Jalen Brunson was not supposed to start last night. He was not supposed to play last night. This man had a, is dealing with the foot contusion, fell on his hip and his shoulder in the same game on Sunday, was in a walking boot 24 hours prior to the start of Wednesday night's, Wednesday night's contest. He comes out. Grit, grits out 39 minutes, scores 30 points again, dishes out seven assists again, and drops Alex Caruso oh to hit a back-breaking back three-point dagger to seal the victory for the Knicks in overtime. Um, we can talk about Grimes. He's been awesome. Mitch Robb has been good. Um, uh, you know, Jalen Randall will talk about up and down. Yeah. Jalen Brunson, RJ's playing a little better. Jalen Brunson has been the guy for this team. They wouldn't have half as many wins had he not had the Knicks not signed him. Um, and all of a sudden, here we are, five game winning streak, six seed in the East, and so much of it is attributable to the point guard. One of the things I've talked about with this team that has been frustrating has been what I felt has been a lack of identity on the team for the last year and a half or so. You really, though, start to feel like with this five-game winning streak that maybe an identity is being formed uh, and is being forged with this idea of resilience and toughness, mental toughness. And Jalen Brunson really encompasses all of that, and I thought this performance encompassed all of that. I want you guys to hear what Jalen Brunson had to say because, as Tommy mentioned, he was banged up. He was not supposed to play. He had the foot contusion. He, he landed very hard on his hip and shoulder. We didn't want him to play. I, I think you didn't want him to play, Tommy. I certainly didn't think that he really needed to play in this game. But Brunson is tough. And he said why it was important for him to get out there. I'm healthy, but I just want to take today off. I think me as a leader, I got to just, if I'm able to walk, if I'm able to play, I got to bring it. Let me play the top of that just so you guys hear the top of that because that sounded a little weird. This is Jalen Brunson talking about why it was important to get out there. I don't want to give anyone that that uh, notion that I, I'm healthy but i just want to take today off i think me as a leader i gotta just if i'm able to walk i'm able to play i gotta bring it i mean that's that is the kind of new york attitude new york grit new york toughness that we talk about and for brunson to go out there and and have that performance and and it was just it, that's the word i come with is gritty i mean he, he started a little slow to me he didn't look healthy to start the game and i was kind of looking at this saying oh boy you know this is I'm a little worried. I don't know if he really needs to be out there. But as that game got tighter, he got better. And 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 just hats off to him. I mean, he has been just a, a really a godsend to this team. And, and I'm very curious to see, you know, how he feels coming into this next game. But all the praise to Jalen Brunson. Yeah, man. And, and I wrote about this morning, you know, quoted the late great Biggie Smalls, like things done changed in New York. And, and, <laughs> That's and, right. And, and it's because of Brunson. That being said, yes, I, I thought they should have given him a night off Wednesday. And if he's not 100 percent or, 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 you know, I know he doesn't want to come out, but the Knicks have to start looking at the bigger picture here um, and, and start, you know, it, it give him a rest here and there. Um, you know, they, they need him healthy, obviously, the second half of the season. Um, yeah. but, but two, two, you know, one of the reasons that Nick signed him was because they knew he was mentally tough and he was tenacious and he wasn't going to take a playoff, let a game off. Um, and we've seen throughout this season, throughout the league, teams have been crippled by injuries. Yeah. The Knicks three leading scorers, Randall, Brunson, and Barrett, they've all played in each of the 28 games the teams have played. I actually looked at the numbers this morning. 
uh, for my newsletter. They have logged together 692 minutes. No other trio in the league has played more than 609 minutes together this season. So, I mean, essentially those three have two full games, more than two full games worth of additional playing time than any other three-man lineup in the NBA. So, um, again, it's, you know, availability is is you know a, a term is, is a crucial aspect of a, is the best ability people want to say um yeah so credit to the knicks mid three big three whatever you want to call them for for showing up each night especially brunson last night and tibbs after the game spoke about brunson's toughness and the attention to detail he takes on his body to make sure he was ready for his teammates last night in that big game it, it's everything you know so he's you know, coming in multiple treatments every day, and you just know he, that becomes his game. That becomes his practice, and you know he's he's been through so many different things. You know, he, he has a strategy for everything, and you know he's just gets out there and gets it done. Knicks get the W thanks to Jalen Brunson's thirty points. This was a game that it was great. It was fun because they won. But there certainly were some moments, especially in that fourth quarter, where you kind of scratch your head and you kind of wonder, are the Knicks going to cough it up? Now, to Brunson's credit and to Quentin Grimes' credit, those guys, I think, really didn't allow them to do that. But it wasn't like they were exactly helped by the coach or their you know, pseudo second star in Julius Randle. So I mentioned that Julius Randle did have 31 points. He did have a really good game for three quarters. Fourth quarter, though. We kind of saw some of that old Julius Randle and some of that old Tom Thibodeau, quite frankly. I mean, you saw the offense stagnate. I mean, I, I was actually watching the game again before we came on, and there might have been three or four straight possessions in overtime where they went Julius Randle isolation in the fourth quarter. And it did not come up with very good results. And then when you look at that final possession where you see Julius Randle hold the ball for 20 seconds, literally no, no movement, no ball movement, no player movement, nothing. He just held the ball for 20 seconds. This is a do or die. You're not do or die, but, you know, a, a situation where maybe you can win the game as you're tied uh, before sending against overtime. And he, he settles for a baseline fadeaway that ends up being an air ball. And because it was an air ball, actually gave Chicago a chance to actually win the game with 0.7 seconds left. Had Randall even hit the rim, they would have definitely secured overtime. So uh, any concern? any concern about some of what we saw the Knicks kind of revert to uh, in that fourth quarter with Randall kind of, you know, going back to ice football and Tim seemingly totally fine with it. Yeah. I mean, and listen, you got to, because that's the type of stuff that, that they, that have cost them countless, countless games last season. Um, they time. And again, the fourth quarter, that high pick and roll uh, between Brunson and Randall at the top of the key. And it, it, that ended up with a Randall isolation against Alex Crusoe. Listen, I know Alex Crusoe was relatively short. He's not, you know, he, Randall feels like he has a size advantage. That's not a mismatch. Like the, no. the Bulls are comfortable there. Um, yeah. Crusoe's probably their best all around defender. Um, even Pat Williams switching on to Brunson. It's not an enormous mismatch. Um, it just didn't make sense. Listen, you want to try it a couple of times and see if it works and see if they run doubles and you can spot open shooters, go, go for it. Um, but it just, it wasn't effective. And, but they kept on running it. Um, offense stagnated. Randall was one of six in the fourth quarter. Um, and as we mentioned in, in years past and in, in, in last season, this is a game the Knicks would have lost. Fortunately, Grimes knocked down that big three pointer on that on that bounce, off, you know, friendly bounce off the rim, and then runs yeah. for control in overtime. Um, but again, you should you don't want to put yourselves in those situations. So even before they got to that inexcusably um, uneventful, uh, um, uninventive 
final possession where, where yeah. Randall, you know, shoots a fade away off one leg, you know, contested. Um, just, you know, that's the best shot you guys could come up with, you know, in the timeout. Um, it, it, that didn't make a lot of sense. But even before they got to that point, um, the offense really stagnated. So that's something that we've seen often. It, listen, it happens in the NBA. Fourth yeah. quarter, game slows down, you know, defenses lock in more, makes it more difficult. You don't get those easy baskets in transition, et cetera. Um, but the Knicks have to be more creative for me. It starts with letting Randall be, uh, I'm sorry, letting Brunson be the facilitator as opposed to Randall. And just as importantly, let's get Quentin Grimes some more looks. Eight field goal attempts, um, you know, yeah. last night, um, you know, knocked down the two three pointers, as we know. He's too good of a shooter, and he's a good passer when he when he penetrates into paint, um, makes good decisions, takes care of the basketball. He's too good an offensive player to be left standing out on an island, you know, you know, just in the corner essentially, waiting, hoping that the ball come his way. Um, they really need to find ways to unlock his potential. You also have Mitch, some some more alley oops, you know, take the top yeah. off the defense. That that's what he brings to the table. Um, so that's one of the things Tibbs needs to work on um, is is really trying to. Um, you know, find different ways to score as opposed to just dump it into Randall and, and hope for the best. In some ways, I feel like Tibbs likes to almost reward Randall for how he played in the first three quarters with these plays. It's like, okay, you delayed a good three quarters. Okay, we'll let you play your isolation ball. Even if isolation ball is not how he got to his 30 points. I mean, I thought he was uh, very versatile in terms of how he was scoring, and that's what made him so tough to stop throughout that game. And then I think he made it easy on the defense by allowing them to just hold the ball and just wait for his first move. And as soon as his clock comes in, as soon as he picks the ball up and turns around, the double is coming, the help is coming. And he was, and he's been better with those decisions uh, in in previous games. But last night he had six turnovers. He he, he didn't make those decisions correctly. Randall's at his night. best when he makes quick quick decisions. If you exactly. want to shoot, that's fine. Get the ball up. If he's going to pass, pass it. That the, the offense really bogs down when he catches the ball, pump fakes, you know, jab steps, etc. That's what they need to avoid. And a couple of times he caught guys in like emergency situations where he maybe would make the right pass, but now this pass is at three seconds left on the shot clock. I think quickly had to throw one up in that fourth quarter. A couple other guys had to throw up quick shots um, because he eventually got to that decision, but it came so late that now the player who gets the ball has to make even a quicker decision to make it take an even tougher shot. So Randall, very good three quarters. I don't want to make it sound like I want to just bang all on, on him because of just the fourth quarter in overtime where he did not play that great. He was he really kind of kept them afloat, him and RJ for much of those three quarters. Yeah. But he he needs to kind of get back to what he's been doing, which essentially, as you said, making quick decisions, um, um, moving the ball fast if he doesn't have something, or attacking quick, and then when that help comes, then making uh the next pass. So um good, good performance all around by uh the Knicks. You mentioned Quentin Grimes. I want to give him some love here because uh he has been great during this stretch where he's been in the rotation and he had some huge monster threes last night. And I know his three point percentage hasn't necessarily matched to the, the reputation he has as a shooter coming out of college, but he's a very good three point shooter. And we saw him show a lot of toughness in that game, mental toughness. And he talked a little bit about where that comes from. And it starts with his time at Houston playing under Calvin Sampson. Oh, definitely Coach Sampson at uh, University of Houston. Um, that guy, he's going to be on you 24-7. No matter if you're the, the water boy, the star, it doesn't matter. He's going to be on you 24-7. And he prepares you for moments like this. He prepared me for a couple of moments uh, when I was in Houston that I was able to capitalize on. He, he definitely prepared me, uh, him and Tibbs, were prepared me for this moment tonight. And I think that, like, he's the perfect player for this kind of team they have, this starting lineup, because 
his opportunities may come a little few and far between. Like, I agree. I think they do need to try to find a way to get him more involved. But we know RJ is a scorer. We know Randall's a scorer. We know Brunson is, is a scorer. He can facilitate, but he sees he's almost more of a score first point guard. So I think that you're going to need a player who can come in in those short times where you need a big shot, where you need a big bucket, or not be concerned about maybe getting a lot of shots, but playing the kind of defense he played against Zach Levine for most of that night and saying, doesn't matter what situation is, I'm going to be ready. And I thought that um, him talking about his time in Houston and how that prepared him for this role under Tibbs, I thought was apropos to what we saw from him last night, a, a big, big performance from Quentin Grimes. I was thinking this morning, what's the what's the most recent backcourt that's better than Brunson and Grimes? Listen, Grimes is still young, yeah. second, you know, 80 games played in his NBA career, has a long way to go before he fulfills the potential. Um, you and I and plenty of other Nick fans and quite frankly, non-Nick fans and just basically yeah. observers recognize that this kid is, is special. Um so assuming he gets there in the next year or two, whatever the case might be, that has a potential to be a really, really top-notch backcourt um, because you just it, you have a little bit of everything. Grimes is the defensive specialist that can guard the other team's best perimeter player, um, and he'll do a majority of his scoring out on the perimeter, even though he can get inside. Brunson obviously gets his foot in the paint, incredible post moves for, for, for a point guard, um, but can also knock down the three if you give him some room. So those guys play so well off each other, complement each other's game so well um, that from a Nick fan perspective, it's really exciting to think about um, the trajectory that these two guys could take together um, over the next couple seasons, uh, you know, assuming they stick together and, you know, and the Knicks decide that this is their backcourt of the future, which I, I think it's pretty clear at this point that it is because um, essentially ever since uh, uh, Grimes has, you know, entered the starting lineup and started playing 35 plus minutes a night and then bringing McBride, another defensive minded player off the bench, um, yeah. you know, the results speak for themselves five and always since uh, McBride entered the rotation. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, it, it's 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 definitely exciting to to think about with Grimes and his potential and what that upside could be with Brunson and Knicks win this one 128-120 in overtime in Chicago. These two teams play again Friday night. We'll have a preview of that game tomorrow. So we're back at it here on uh, Orange Blue Bus talking Knicks and Bulls. But I, I do want to shift the focus here and talk about how this win sets the Knicks up in Eastern Conference currently. So with this win, the Knicks have sole possession of the sixth-place spot in the Eastern Conference, meaning if things ended today, the Knicks would be squarely in the playoffs. They would have avoided the play-in tournament. They currently sit ahead of Indiana, Miami, Atlanta, and Toronto, who hold the 7-10 to 10 spots. So when you see Knicks right now in the playoff spot, definitely didn't like me be there when we started this podcast, but then they've won every game since. Uh, do you think the Knicks have a chance to hold off those other teams and stay in that top six, Tommy? Well, first of all, just looking at the schedule and, and thinking ahead, uh, a Knicks-Nets 6-3 first-round matchup might be – do th- you think some fans might be interested in that? You think that I, I, think, I think they would. We're a long way from that, um, obviously. That being said, um, 
Pacers are currently seven seed. Um, I don't expect them to, I, I, you know, they're game over 500. I'd be very surprised if the Pacers were above 500 at the end of the season. The next two teams, are, I think, obviously, the teams you have to worry about coming up and catching and past the Knicks. The Heat uh, finally won two games in a row. Looks like they're starting to right the ship a little bit, as we kind of all expected they would. Uh, they're currently just a game under 500. Hawks headed in the wrong direction. They've lost two in a row, but still only a game under 500. We know about the talent they they, they have uh, with Trey Young, who's been atrocious of late uh, to be fair um the king of broadway has <laughs> played more like a, play more like a prince or or maybe a pauper or the court jester maybe i don't know <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> um you know so but listen you got deandre hunter they've dealt with some issues bogey's been, yeah. been banged up um you know we'll see if when they get john collins back and and obviously clint capella has been solid um the raptors on the other hand two games under 500 right now um, they've lost three in a row. They've looked horrible. Two losses to Orlando and Bo Bowl, um, who's, who's, who's just so much fun to watch right now. Yes. And then, then on the outside of the, of the plane looking in, you have the Bulls and the Wizards. Uh, Wizards are just, you know, they, they have completely imploded. Yeah. Uh, they lost, they, they've lost eight in a row. No Bradley Beal last night. Chris Stapps Porzingis, um, is dealing with a bad back and, and that's no surprise to Nick fans that he's, that he's a little bit dinged up. Um, surprise, Bulls, surprise. Bulls, Bulls are five games under 500. Um, so I, I listen, Chicago could turn around. Um, they, they've been healthy, um, you know, outside of, uh, Alonzo ball. So, um, I wouldn't, you know, I think, you know, obviously the Knicks are in a far better position than they were a week ago. Um, I don't think it changes the ultimate upside because they're nowhere near the, that top tier of, uh, of the Celtics, Bucks, Cavs, Nets, and Sixers, you know, those yeah. five are in a class by themselves. Um, but listen, the Knicks are, you know, I, I, you know, I think they'll probably hang around the seven, eight seed. I, I, I suspect Miami again, will get it together and kind of establish themselves as that sixth and final playoff team, not, you know, play a play in team above that seven eight line um right. but the Knicks should be you know right there for that seven eight nine spot um you know with the the pacers hawks raptors and bulls um so yeah i think uh you know at this stage of the game getting those wins in the bank are super important um and the other thing is the Knicks have played well home and away uh they're one of only five teams in the nba with a winning road record they're eight and six on the road um you know they they failed to you know kind of get on track early at home just seven and seven at home but um they you know the defense travels they played well um on, on both ends of the floor away from the garden so assuming they start racking up some some uh, wins at home at which they should they have some favorable matchups coming up um you know again things are trending in the right direction we'll talk about it tomorrow and a, a week from now and see where they stand but right now um i think you have to be fairly confident that they put themselves in position and will continue to stay in a position to compete for that sixth spot. And then if, if nothing else, be in the mix for that, that, that playing spot. Yeah. I mean, when I look at the Knicks and the standings, I mean, like you said, uh, the teams ahead of them, Philly at five, Brooklyn at four, Cleveland at three, Milwaukee at two, Boston at one. That's like the one real downside to like their, the Knicks upside for the, where they could go. Because it just feels like that top five is pretty much locked. Like if, like you know, the, the year I remember the year the year when the Knicks made the four seed. Like between like three and like six, it was like, and I think even seven, it was kind of all over the place. There were a lot of teams that was already kind of jumbled up, oh, and it felt like, like the, last, the last few days of the season. Yeah, yeah, it felt like okay, like Knicks could be as high as maybe three, though that kind of fell apart. It was like, but definitely four, and maybe they slipping the play out, but they see there was there was some cushion that okay, even if they lose a couple games, maybe at worst they'll be six. 
Um, here it's like their upside to me looks like it's six. Like I, I don't know how they 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 pass those other teams. Could Philly find the injury bug again? Maybe that could be the only thing. Philly's already been hurt really all season. That's kind of why they they are where they are only above five hundred. Like Embiid's missed time, Maxi's missed time, Harden's missed time. So could they pass Philly? Maybe if Philly continues to have injury problems, maybe. Um, I don't anticipate Cleveland falling off a cliff like they did last year unless they have massive injuries, which cost them a playoff spot last year. Um, Brooklyn seems to have figured themselves out, so the, I don't think the Knicks are as talented as Brooklyn. And we know Milwaukee and, and Boston are the class of the Eastern Conference. So it, it really now becomes a kind of just holding off those other teams. Indiana may sell off a lot of their veteran players at some point. So I, I think Indiana I'm not too worried about. But I'd worry about Miami, Atlanta, and Toronto just because of what they've done in previous years. Last season, Toronto had a really good year. They've been in a tailspin recently. But we know they're an athletic team. Uh, we know they're very well coached with Nick Nurse, and they have a good organization. Maybe they figure it out. Atlanta's been kind of a mess. But they're, they're, they're a weird team where the way their regular season goes, like they could just turn it on at some point and win 9 out of 10. To, to close the season to get to a spot like that. So you can't really ever write them off completely. And we know what Miami is with Pat Riley and Ed Eric Spolster and the team they have. So holding those teams off is going to be tough. I, I feel a lot better about them actually being one of these playing teams, but being in a situation where they could definitely make the playoffs and avoid the playing, it's going to be tough. It's going to be real tough. The other thing important to note, all those teams that we've mentioned have dealt with serious – we talked about Atlanta's injury. Toronto's been, you know, Van Vliet and Scotty Barnes, and, and and obviously Siakam's been out of the lineup. Um, yeah. The Knicks, their key players, other than Grimes, have all been healthy. Like, we mentioned it, you know, the, the top three scorers, uh, Brunson, Barrett, and Randall, have played every single game. Um, so, yeah. you know, yes, they've proven durable throughout their careers, but there's no, you know, there's no guarantee, certainly, they're not going to miss two weeks with an ankle or a month with a hamstring or something along those lines. So um, that's something to keep in mind. The Knicks have benefited from other teams' injuries. Played the Kings without the Air Fox, played the Nuggets yeah. without Jokic, played the Sixers without Embiid and Harden, down and down and down and down on the line. The Knicks have taken advantage of it. Listen, you play the team that's on the schedule in front of you, um, and, and credit to the Knicks for taking advantage of those situations. But at some point, you would assume the injury bubble will bite the Knicks at some point as well. Yeah, and not to go back to the last game, but like that's kind of why I, I was so impressed with last night because it's not like the Bulls don't have injuries. I mean, Ball, but he hasn't played all year. But Ball wasn't out there. I was assuming who I talked about in the last podcast got hurt in the Hawks game, so he couldn't play last night. And then Caruso took his spot, even though he didn't play in the Hawks game. But you see, they had DeRozan, they had Vucevic, they had Levine yeah. out there. And I talked about in the last pod how even though the Knicks were beating those teams who were hurt or had guys missing. It was encouraging to see the process to how they were getting those wins and how if they played against tougher competition, you would think that some of that stuff would carry over. And that's essentially what happened in those games, in that game last night against Chicago. So they had some, you know, you know, just like all teams, you trip off, you have a couple of bad minutes of play and then you try to figure it out, but they did figure it out. So you hope that last night can kind of be a precursor to how they will play when they do end up playing some of these other teams who are more healthy, more talented. Knicks were able to get that win last night. It'll be interesting to see how they move forward the rest of the season. I do have one question regarding the standings and where the Knicks sit right now at number six, because I think the word we've heard and the word you used, I think uh, the last podcast or the podcast before um, is the Knicks were, we felt like they were stuck in purgatory. You know, they were kind of in this playing situation, no real upside. It seemed at that time to get beyond the seventh seed, even the seventh seed looked a little bit daunting where they were. 
prior to this winning streak. What do you think the outlook is for the Knicks if they're able to stay in the top six? Like, let's say this season ends with them as one of the six playoff teams and they play a first round matchup. I don't think I wouldn't expect them to be any of these teams that are in top five, but let's say they win two games in the first round. Like, does that change the outlook in terms of Tom Thibodeau's future, Julius Randle's future? Like, I, I would be very curious to think what your thoughts are on if this Knicks team is maybe not so much technically in purgatory, maybe something a little better in purgatory. I don't know what is uh, the, the good place uh, as, as we had in, uh, in, the, in that show that was on NBC, one of my favorite all-time shows. Like, maybe they're in something like that, a place that's kind of mid, not necessarily purgatory, but not so terrible. Like, wh- where do the Knicks go from there if that is their ceiling this season? Yeah, I, I think the it won't change the Knicks front office as currently constituted Leon Rose and World Wide West, et cetera, because they've made it obvious. Their plan is to trend in the right direction, you know, not bottom out, while maintaining cap flexibility as, you know, relative plaf- cap, cap flexibility, not signing a, you know, not having an albatross contract, ideally, and also their their draft capital, future first round picks, second rounders, et cetera, um, and, and their young players. Um and hoping, waiting, however you want to phrase it, for a star yeah. to demand a trade and then pounce, capitalize, and use and, and consolidate those young players' draft picks um, and, and maybe an R.J. Barrett or Randall to acquire said superstar. Um, so that would kind of, you know, and, and that's the reason they, they they went into the season the way they did, you know, kind of in that purgatory-ish area. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think it'll change I, I, to me. If you're asking me personally, I think you if some team is willing to trade for Julius Randle right now, today, you strike while the iron's hot. Because I don't I think agree. he's a star, you know, or even a second, you know, the, the second best player on a team. At least in New York, you just it just it, it's not a great fit. Um so if they could, you know, improve uh, substantially, not only get out from under that contract, it's not a terrible contract, they're around the 50th, 50th highest paid player in the league this year, certainly reasonable. Um, and, and for, we knock Randall, but for the last four games, averaging 30 plus points, 11 plus rebounds, yeah. four plus assists, four plus made three pointers. Those are tremendous numbers um, that can benefit a lot of organizations. Um, it's just as far as the way, you know, Randall's game doesn't necessarily complement Brunson, uh, you know, as much as some other guys could. Um, so that being said, I certainly would, you know, listen, Obi Toppin's injured right now. We'd have you know, no updates on him. Will he miss just the two to three weeks? Um, probably more likely he misses an additional, you know, two or three weeks from at, after his next uh, examination. So it's, it, it's very unlikely they would trade Randall, um, with the team, the six seed in the East and the backup power forward injured, et cetera. But Again, as we get closer to the deadline, if we're thinking big picture, um, let's not fool ourselves into thinking a five-game winning streak erases all that ails the Knicks organization and that and that right. they're capped, as we talked about. If you want to get up to one of those five teams, you're going to have to improve the roster significantly. That means acquiring a true superstar. And to me, that 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 prob- you probably increase the chances of doing so without Randall on your roster. You know, if you can get a, a more complimentary player to Brunson, um, you know, that that would probably make sense clear a little bit of cap space in the process um we'll see how it plays out yeah brunson in the month of december averaging 27.8 points a game shooting 45 percent from the field averaging 9.8 rebounds 36 percent from three fellow nba teams this could be yours do not hesitate 
This is what Julius Randle could bring to the table to your organization. And he's a really good guy, gets along with fans, never takes oh, yeah. plays off defensively, always has a great attitude, thumbs up all the time. So listen, yes, you should, you should go all in on. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, so let's uh, let's let's shift gears from uh, the Knicks in terms of um, some of the good that's been happening, the guys that are staying, and the winning, and, and let's talk about some of the smoke that's been happening regarding the trades. So. As I said, there have been plenty of smoke surrounding a potential trade between the Knicks and the Lakers this uh, this week. Has been no different in that. We learned from Sham Sharania last week that the Lakers had discussions about Cam Reddish and Evan Fournier. Now, who types uh, Michael Scotto has some additional info on that, saying that the Knicks had actually reached out to the Lakers prior to Reddish's benching to see if L.A. was interested in swapping Reddish and Fournier for Patrick Beverly and Kendrick Nunn. Nunn and Beverly are in the final years of their contracts, so those contracts would come off the books this season. I would assume that one or both of those guys would probably be buyout candidates if the Knicks acquired them. Um, Scott notes that the Lakers had been interested in Reddish, but were not exactly thrilled about the idea of having to attach Fournier in any potential deal, which that's interesting to me considering they can't shoot at all. But we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that on that side. Uh, for for the Knicks side, Tommy, is that a swap that you'd be interested in? Yeah. So a couple quick things. Um, Beverly and Nunn for Fournier and Reddish doesn't work under the the cap. Mm. Um, the the Lakers would have to essentially include about three million dollars. That could be done via third team. Um, yeah. You know, if third team was going to take some cap space and a you know a protected second round pick, whatever the case might be. Um, if the Knicks included Wayne Gabriel and Max Christie. Um, who, you know, has some fans um, as far as some upside for a young player that would get done on the cap, that four for two trade um, where it's uh, none Beverly, Wayne Gabriel, Max Christie for Fournier and Reddish um, just for, for the, the bookie, the bookkeeping out there. Um, yeah. Now from the Knicks perspective, I think it, first of all, I think this trade makes a lot of sense from both perspectives, from, from, from both sides. Um, the Lakers are five games under 500, you know, treading water at best, even with uh, Anthony Davis relatively healthy and playing at an incredibly high level. Yes. Um, and LeBron kind of doing what you expect him to do. Not quite, you know, certainly not the LeBron of 10 years ago, but still for an eight, for a player at age 38, putting up great numbers. Russ playing far better than anybody would have expected. Shooting has come sure. back down to earth as we expected, but still finding ways to contribute. Seemed to embrace his, uh, you know, his bench role somewhat. Um, but the Lakers aren't going anywhere. If, if they don't improve their shooting, if they don't find guys, if they don't add guys to knock down outside shots, they're not going to, you know, maybe scare somebody in the West, but they're not going to advance to the West Conference finals, let alone the finals. Um, and you're talking about what could be the last year of LeBron's prime, you know, if we're still, if he's still in his prime, the last, yeah. the, the last year of LeBron's late prime, however you want to characterize it. And they're playing uh, 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 Troy Brown 24, 25 minutes a night. Yeah. You know, um, Austin Reeves is the team's third best player, plenty of nights. Um, yeah. uh, is Fournier a perfect player? Absolutely not. Is there a reason <laughs> he's riding the bench on a Knicks team that was three games under 500, you know, 90, 48 hours ago, whatever the case might be? Yeah, yeah. it's because he has defensive deficiencies. And But listen, he's a guy that was – the you know the, the leader of a of a French team that went far you know over the summer in in, in the Euro Cup, um, 
a guy that was fourth in the NBA in made three-pointers last season. Only players in the league to knock down more three-pointers were Steph Curry, Fred Van Viet, and, and Buddy Heald. Um, Fournier set a record for most three-pointers last season, broke Stark's record, and shot efficiently from downtown. Too. It wasn't a chucker. Shot around 39% from the floor. The Lakers could use a guy like that for 18 to 20 minutes a night off the bench. Um you know, so I, I, I and and we know what what Cam Reddish's upside. Um, you know, we know about the flaws, but listen, he's a dynamic, athletic young player, still only 22 years old. Um, I certainly would rather have Cam Reddish as a part of my rotation than a guy like Troy Brown and and some of the other yeah. players that the, that the Lakers have been forced to kind of rely on. Um, the Lakers obviously want to improve. You know, the talent. You know, for, from their roster, from a talent standpoint, they don't want to give up first round picks to do so. I understand. They, as we know, they can trade their 2027 first rounder and their 2029 first rounder. LeBron won't be in the, you know, likely, very likely won't be in, on the Lakers, let alone in the league, uh, you know, five, five years from now, six, seven years from now. Um, Anthony Davis, who knows where he'll be. So I understand the Lakers wanting to protect. I, I, well, uh, you know, if I'm if I'm Rob Palenka, I let the next GM worry about that. I improve the team right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think uh, Jeannie Buss has a say in the matter as well, and, and she's cognizant of the fact that you don't want to rob Peter to pay Paul and, and really jeopardize the future. So, th- would the you know it, would the Lakers prefer to have Miles Turner and Buddy Hield you know come in uh, come in you know join the team in January? Of course, but the the Pacers' demands are going to be far higher than the Knicks' package of Fournier and Reddish. Um, really, the only downside from a Laker perspective is you have the $18.9 million, which Fournier is owed next season. Reddish's will be a restricted free agent. If he doesn't work out, you can let him walk. If you like what he brings to the table and imp- impresses you over the next four months, you can resign him or you can basically see what the market dictates. Um, so f- that's that's from a Lakers perspective. I, I pull the trigger. Um, I obviously see what else is out there, and but but all things considered, I don't see them getting more and giving up less um, from a Knicks perspective. Um, you know, I, I, I wrote about this yesterday and, and a lot of the comments were um, it doesn't benefit the Knicks. Wait until Fournier is an expiring contract in the offseason. He'll be a valuable asset. OK, was Alec Burke about, off a pretty good season? Was he a valuable asset? You know, was was Nerlens Noel on an expiring contract, a valuable asset? Was Kemba Walker on an expiring contract, a valuable asset? No, the Knicks had to attach draft capital just to get these guys off their books. Um, so if you can trade Fournier without attaching any draft capital or a player that you that, that you value right now, you do it. You know, it, it's not a complicated decision. Not only that, Leon Rose is was an agent for the better part of his career. You know, he yeah. understands the relationships. You don't want a, 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 a prideful, quality, talented player like Evan Fournier riding the bench. Um, if you can put him in a better position for him and his career, you do that. Same with Cam Reddish. Again, this is these guys. It's a fraternity, and you and you want to keep that, you know, that that familial, you know, attitude and approach, uh, you know, for as long as possible. So, um, again, I, I think it makes a lot of sense for both sides. I think both sides will, you know, readdress it um, if and when the Lakers realize they're not going to get the heel Turner package that that has been rumored. Um, we'll see how it plays out, but I think this is definitely something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I, I don't I don't hate this move. I think when I think about the the return, again, these could very well be buyout options. But when you're the, if you're the Knicks and some of the fans that were a little frustrated when they heard about the Knicks pursuing this trade, I think you got to think about it from a different perspective. Like 
you can't have it both ways. You can't say we want to play the young guys and we want to have this great new young rotation and they're playing really well. But then also, well, when we trade the guys that we don't want to play, you better bring us guys that can come in here and play. It's like, well, wait a minute. Do you want to play the young guys and give them a real opportunity? Or are you trying to improve the team through this trade? And do you really think you're going to improve the team through trading Evan Fournier and Cam Reddish? I, I don't see any I don't see any team giving you a valuable asset for either of those guys. Like if they did, those guys would have been gone. So I think it's one of those things where you gotta have to cut your losses. And if you can get out of Fournier salary a year ahead, why not? As long as you're not attaching some terrible uh draft capital to it. Um, I feel like if 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 they have to match the money with Christie, who I actually liked in the draft, I thought he came out a year early, but I think I liked him in college and coming out of high school. Um, I think he'd be an intriguing player to kind of just have in your in the fold, whether he's playing in the G League or whatever. If you if you bring in Christie and maybe you give up a second round pick, I, I'm fine with that. Like he was a second round pick this year, so that's something that it wouldn't worry me too much. But at the end of the day, you gotta you know you're not gonna rob these teams <laughs> like as we saw with the Donovan Mitchell fiasco. Like like this is where they're at. Every four needs a player who, despite what he did last year, um, he they couldn't trade him last year. And right now he's not playing. And Cam Reddish is a guy who was on the outs in Atlanta. You're probably the only team that he would give up a first round pick to get him. That's why you had him. And now he's not playing for your team. His value is even worse from when you got him. So this is just is what it is at this point. I do feel like if you do have a situation where I don't know if I, I would not want Kendrick on, on his team. Like he would have to be bought out. Agreed. I don't hate having Patrick Beverly as a guy on the bench on this team. It's just depth because you do have a guy who's a veteran. If you're talking about a team that is kind of in the playing playoff situation, I'm sure he could be valuable there. He was valuable for Minnesota in that regard. So if you kept him around, but maybe he's out of rotation, that's fine. I would still play Deuce McBride over him. I wouldn't think about taking Deuce McBride out of the rotation for him. Um, if he was cool with that, then I'd be cool with that. If not, then you cut bait. But I think getting out of the money is fine. And if from the Lakers standpoint, I, I I see why they're very interested in cameras because they are so capped out. They can't sign anybody. So if they're able to trade guys and then sign them long term with their bird rights, this is kind of a way to kind of keep flourishing the roster and keep improving the roster in a kind of an unorthodox way. So the Nets do that. Um, when they had their cap situation and then their draft issues during the post the Kevin Garnett, you know, Paul Pierce trade, you got to kind of be, you got to be creative and trying to add talent. So you're not going to be able to sign Canada's probably in the off season is, I mean, maybe, I don't know if he'd be under the, the, the tax minimum or the, or the, or the uh, middle of exception, but it's going to be tough, even if they can get to the, to be used, being able to use cap, the, the, the mid level exception. So if you can trade for him now and then, okay, see what he's got, maybe he plays pretty good. And then now you can sign him. Uh, Evan Fournier, okay, you got to deal one year with him, but it is what it is. I, I don't. I, I think for the Lakers, it's a no-brainer. I think they'll eventually. I actually think they'll pull the trigger on this deal if they end up can't being able to get someone like Boyan Bogdanovich, who is apparently the guy that they're really targeting. But the Lakers kind of sound like the Knicks to me. It's like you can't rob these teams. Right. Like Boyan Bogdanovich is a good player. Like he's not just like he's not like a, just a nobody. I know he's playing on a team that is in full tank mode and and is not competing on any level they just lost Cade Cunningham Detroit for the entire season so I understand the Lakers thinking maybe we can kind of swindle Detroit who's trying to not lose as many games as possible but they don't understand the asset that Bogdanovich can be and the Lakers don't have a lot <laughs> to offer so once the Lakers come back to reality I think a deal either for Fournier or Bever or excuse me uh Reddish is possible and a package deal could also be possible as well 
Yeah, I, one quick thing on uh, the players coming back to the Knicks. Um, I don't see either player. This, to me, it's addition by subtraction, you know. Yeah. Um, you, you need to consolidate roster spots and, you know, lock in, uh, the, the, you know, the um, – McBride's minutes and you still have depth even after trading those guys, you know? Um, so it's not like, you know, you're, you're seven guys. Now you got to play them a, a bunch each night. Um, so yes, I, I think what I was thinking was maybe flipping those guys, you know, could none yeah. next year, second round pick, probably not, but yeah, you see um, uh, for Beverly, would the Timberwolves be interested in Beverly? You know, kind of, they've been kind of sluggish. They don't, they haven't really found their identity this season with Gobert in the mix. Um, we know that, uh, you know, Beverly was their heart and, you know, was a, kind of the engine of that team um, yeah. jumping on tables after they qualified for the, for the playoffs, et cetera. <laughs> um, so I, I was wondering, you know, and they played Jordan McLaughlin, they, they, they had the, rely on him a bunch of minutes at point guards. So I was thinking, you know, maybe reroute him to Minnesota, um, you know, for, uh, you know, a second round pick or whatever the case might be. Um, so those are the kind of things. But again, what you're, you're, the, the benefit here is getting off of, of Fournier's money, um, clearing, you know, unclogging your cap a little bit, doing favors uh, for, for, for players. And that, that, does, that doesn't go unnoticed around the league. Um, and again, committing to your core, Grimes, McBride, Barry, you know, those, those guys um, by, by kind of you know you know and, and and listen dolan would would appreciate you know it's not our money but dolan's going to appreciate mm -hmm. if, if if the and, and that's his and that's leon rose's boss if he saves him 20 million bucks plus the, you know the, the tax bill as in addition to that so um yeah again i i think from from both sides it makes a lot of sense and think about this last week we were talking about attaching emmanuel quickly to evan fournier which right. would have been a terrible decision an awful decision right. now you're talking about okay it's reddish and you clear some cap space like i would take that six seven days a week and twice on sunday yep. if that's the deal as opposed to attaching emmanuel quickly to get rid of fournier that makes no sense attaching uh reddish a guy who doesn't have a future on this team to fournier and then bringing back just expiring contracts oh that's something that the Knicks should do i'm glad that they looked at the lakers and said hey is something something you're interested in and the lakers will have to kick the can around other deals because it's the lakers and they're going to always try to see if they could uh you know, again, kind of swindle somebody because they always seem to do so, like going back like 67, 40, 50 years, like the Lakers seem to make these trades or just like, how the hell did they end up with this guy? Um, So they're going to try to do that again, but I think they're going to eventually have to circle back and I would not be surprised if some, some iteration of this deal gets done, whether it's both guys, whether it's one guy, I think that they revisit this. Don't disagree. I, I I think it's you know again it's, it's one of those things that makes a lot of sense. Might another team come in and 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 provide the the Lakers with an, another option if they find more enticing, um, a, a comparable player to Fournier who doesn't have another year on his deal. It's possible, but uh, we'll yeah. wait and see at this point. Absolutely, but that's gonna do it for this edition of. Orange and Blue Bloods. Tommy, let them know where they can find you. At Tommy Beer on Twitter. Um, come find me. Yes, and make sure you check out the uh, the newsletter as well. I read it this morning. Really good stuff. Uh, what's up? Oh, uh, what's on tap with Tommy Beer? So make sure you check that out. Also, you can follow me, uh, EJ underscore Stewart on Twitter, Action EJ on Instagram and Snapchat. And make sure you listen to my podcast, New Generation Podcast Network, where we talk sports, superheroes, and Star Wars as well. But that's going to do it for this edition of Orange and Blue Bloods. Again, make sure you give us a subscription. Make sure you auto-download this podcast. And uh, make sure you give us a rating. Give us five stars, hopefully, if you enjoyed this podcast. We're going to be back tomorrow to preview Bulls and Knicks Part 2 in this two-game series. So that will be a lot of fun. So make sure you find us. Same time, same place. We'll be back. But that's going to do it. For Tommy, I'm EJ. Take it easy, guys. Peace.